0: Stanford University.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Stanford University's Center for the Study of Poverty and Inequality. I'm Diantha Parker. This week on the podcast, Mike Hout of UC Berkeley, who says that looking at recessions of the past can help us better understand the one we're coming through now. Hout is a sociologist and a demographer who's written a lot about economic mobility. He finds that while recessions tend to have some aspects in common, recoveries of the past are far harder to recreate. He says that's because they stemmed from specific cultural and technological innovations, and thus were completely of their time. For instance, Hout says the high unemployment numbers right now feel familiar to people of a certain age. He says that's because we've been here before. The last time the country was this unemployed was almost 30 years ago, after the so-called double-dip recession of the early 80s.
0: That was actually two recessions, one in 1980 that lasted pretty much calendar year 1980, and a second one that started... 18 months later, and then lasted quite a long time. It was the only other time in the post-war era when unemployment got up above 10% in 1982. After 82, Hout says,
1: the country went back to work relatively quickly and that that job recovery lasted for almost a decade.
0: It was a long time coming, but once it took off, it was, it was pretty substantial and allowed the Reagan campaign to announce morning in America and have everybody believe them.
1: Hout says politicians and voters alike pointed to the so-called Reagan tax cuts as the magic bullet. They ostensibly let the rich keep and spend more of their money, which then trickled down to the rest of us. The severity of this current downturn has some people thinking we could start a similar recovery with tax cuts again. But Hout says not so fast. He says it wasn't tax cuts, but a lesser-known bit of Reaganomics that started the ball rolling, a piece of legislation that changed how housing developers could borrow money. How it says this legislation altered rules that had existed for two generations.
0: The savings and loan industry coming out of the Great Depression in the 1930s was tightly regulated. They had real strict limits on how much risk they could take on and Suddenly, as those limits were taken off, you saw wild speculation in land in Arizona and Nevada and big housing developments build up. And many of those savings and loans subsequently went out of business. They took on too much risk. And uh, and and so we had our first housing bubble that burst in 1987. And, um, and so we, we don't want to emulate that policy to bring us out of this recession. We don't want to create... What would be our third housing bubble since 1982. But that is how the recovery started back in the winter of 83.
1: Hout says this housing boom is one of three 1980s phenomenons that made that recovery what it was, a once-in-a-lifetime transformation. He says the second boost to the 80s recovery came from the auto industry.
0: Back in the Carter administration prior to 1980, the Chrysler was on the verge of failure, and they received a bailout, and they invested in new product development, and one of those new products turned out to be the minivan.
1: Hout says this now ubiquitous innovation let Chrysler repay its government loan early and made it the manufacturer of the country's most popular car.
0: That was the time of the so-called echo of the original baby boom, 1947 to 1961. Those people were in their late 20s. Some of us had already turned 30 by then. Uh, The minivan fit perfectly with the lifestyle of the late marrying uh, baby boomers had a couple of kids and they traded in their uh, tie-dyed volkswagen van for a um, you know a car seat outfitted plymouth voyager and chrysler hit that demographic sweet spot right perfectly
1: Hout also points to the so-called multiplier effects of all this a car needs upholstery gas a stereo
0: that's why the auto industry is so central it's not just the, the engine and the tires and the body, it's all that stuff that goes into it all creates jobs. And, and so it was, a, it was a substantial part of the recovery. That had nothing to do with the tax cuts. Chrysler actually got a subsidy. They, they didn't benefit from the tax cut. They got a direct taxpayer investment.
1: Hout says the third spoke of this recovery came from something else people suddenly started to buy, the personal computer. The first PCs had come on the market a bit earlier. But they were really expensive.
0: My first uh, IBM PC AT cost fifteen thousand dollars, and probably wasn't as powerful as your watch, um, let alone your phone. But it had a built-in hard drive. You know, the, the technological revolution was on. But what was interesting about that phase of it was because the inventions were coming fast and furiously most of the manufacturing was also in the US in industrial parks next to the research and development teams and so they were they were going from brand new engineering to engineering the brand new manufacturing and they had to do it to a large extent quite proximately and so there were a lot of the manufacturing was done here in Northern California, or in uh, in Massachusetts, in the areas just west of Boston, and in Texas around Austin. And so these were a lot of American jobs. And, and so that also helped with the recovery uh, tremendously.
1: Again, Hout says, people tend not to recall that a government loan made the auto industry's contribution to the recovery possible, not the Reagan era tax cuts. He also says the tech industry has changed entirely since then. The jobs there now aren't the ones that sprouted in the 80s. But Hout says, ruefully, that technology is also the reason we can analyze all this now. The data is much easier to disseminate and interpret. Back when all this was happening, he says, economists couldn't see the information in such detail.
0: They had the monthly unemployment rate. All they knew was the unemployment rate went down, the ratio of employed people that Total population was going up. Ah, the recovery's on. What did we do different? Well, you know, we did that tax cut thing. And so that that idea won the day.
1: Hout fears political hindsight is not yet 2020. He says the Reagan tax cut idea got another chance when the so-called Bush tax cuts were enacted in the early 2000s. They were also supposed to produce jobs.
0: The trickle-down theory is you give a break to the millionaires and they put the thousandaires to work. That hasn't happened. We had, in 2001, a virtually jobless recovery. The downturn in the economy destroyed jobs. Four years later, um, the number of jobs in the American economy was exactly the same as it had been at the bottom of the recession. That aspect of history is regrettably looking like it's repeating itself.
1: Hout says he expects job creation to remain very slow. He says we need more jobs, but they can't come from another 80s or 90s style housing bubble anytime soon. He hopes legislators see this and also see that repeating tax legislation of 30 years ago isn't the answer either. He says we've got to figure a unique path to recovery, one suited to the population and the economy we're dealing with today. You've been listening to a podcast from Stanford Center for the Study of Poverty and Inequality. For more on Hout's findings and other new research by the Center, check out the new book, The Great Recession. It's coming out next month from the Russell Sage Foundation. Our funding comes from the Elfinworks Foundation. Our music is by Pharos. The editor of this podcast series is Christopher Weimer, And I'm Diantha Parker. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next time.